This podcast has some strong language, so if you've got any little ones around, you might want to pop in some headphones. Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today we are very, very lucky to be joined by Matt LeMay. He is a product leader, keynote speaker, author of a couple different books, partner at Sun Campus, and someone I think who really understands and is passionate about product management and all of its messy realities. And today we are going to, uh, to dig in specifically to why hiring product managers in Broken and how we can fix it. So welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Very happy to be here. Excellent. All right, Matt. For those who are not familiar with you, who maybe haven't had the opportunity to hear you speak, give everybody just a little bit of background. How did you get here and, and to be such a big proponent and champion of product? Sure. So I got here by accident and I stayed here on purpose. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I got into product about 13 years ago with a developer relations role. It was technically an API evangelist role at a startup in New York. At a certain point, I was offered to come on full-time after the contract position. I did a Google search for a job in tech, bad at code, good pay, and read about being a product manager and said, great, I'd like to be a product manager. So my manager at the time said, sure, I don't care. And <laughs> I, uh, I became a product manager and I did all the reading. I read all the extant materials about being the CEO of the product and all the different frameworks and delivery and discovery. And I showed up to work my first day as a product manager and realized that none of those frameworks were in place. I had no power or authority over anything. And I felt like I was constantly running around, putting up fires, having conversations. I felt like a facilitator, not a visionary. And I felt that because of that, I was probably just terrible at this job. Mm until I started working with other product managers and found that people who took that more facilitative, thoughtful, empathetic, supportive approach were the ones I really liked to work with. And the visionaries who rolled in doing Steve Jobs cosplay were the ones I did not like to work with. <laughs> uh, additionally, were not terribly effective at actually delivering results for the business. So I became passionate about sharing my experience in part because I wanted to feel better about myself <laughs> and in part because 
I wanted to shout out the type of product management that I believe to be more effective in the real world, which, handily enough, is, in my opinion, product management that accepts the realities of the real world mm-hmm. rather than trying to impose idealistic frameworks and absolute ways of working on um, a role and a world where absolutes rarely hold water. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's interesting, obviously we have a framework and we're passionate about the framework. One of the reasons we call it a framework though, is because it is a scaffolding of which you adjust and build to your organization. It is not like a concrete plan as much as people sometimes would like us to say, but like, what should we do here? It's like, man, there are so many realities of your organization that needs to be reflected in how you do that. But Well, I think perhaps your hiring story into product management is extreme, Matt, in terms of, I want this one, let's do it. I'm not entirely sure that uh, the processes that exist in in most companies are a whole lot more, you know, effectual. And I certainly don't know that they often give us the right people. So let's, let's dig into that. Talk about what we're doing today to hire product managers and why it's broken, sucks. Sure. So I think... I'm going to start with the positive case, actually. I'm oh, going to tell a short story about a friend of mine who's really good at hiring product managers. There's a guy named Josh Wexler who worked at a ton of companies in New York, good friend of mine. I asked him, like, what's, you know, seem to seem to hire good people. What's your trick? And he was like, there's no trick. I just talk to the team and figure out what they need. So I don't just send a bunch of engineers into a meeting and say, talk to this person and see what you think about them. We actually do the work of figuring out, okay, what does this particular team need at Mm. this particular time? What's going to challenge this team in a positive way? What's going to help this team achieve its goals? Do we really understand what this team's goals are well enough, or is that something we need help? And I think that context-first approach, really saying who, not even who, but like what is the shape of expertise or role or style that we need here? in this particular organization, on this particular team, in this particular role, at this particular moment, it's a question that a lot of companies don't ask and I think don't feel confident asking. Mm. And instead they say, well, what makes a good product manager? Well, first of all, if somebody's worked at one of these big tech companies, they must be a good product manager. Right. Anybody who has Google or you know, any of the FANG companies on their resume has to be a great product manager because surely... It, you know, they wouldn't have been hired to those companies if they weren't free. <laughs> Not, you know, saying, you know, the question I then generally ask as a follow-up is like, well, then why wouldn't they just go work for that company rather than go work for you? Right. Surely your company is different from those other companies. Otherwise, you would not be ever hiring anybody (laughs) they would just go work for those companies instead or you'd just be getting the runoff from those companies which is presumably presumably not what you want but i think something that many companies are very very happy with like oh yeah no we're happy to get the second tier folks who just couldn't hack it at a google or a facebook or who already hacked it at a google and a facebook and for whatever reason unbeknownst to us have chosen to move on to a new challenge and make up some elaborate fiction of like, they just want the challenge of working at a startup or whatever, where it's like <laughs> it's a different, different skill set. Yeah, so 100%. So I, I think for starters, there is just this deep, massive insecurity around hiring product managers. Mm-hmm. Companies are fearful of hiring the wrong person and fearful that they do not know who to hire. So they defer to the perceived wisdom and expertise of others. And in doing so, they abdicate their most important responsibility, 
which is to figure out what they need for that team to achieve its particular goals at that moment at that company. As a result, you wind up with a lot of people who have perhaps impressive credentials, mm-hmm. who can talk a good game about the theory of product management, but who are ultimately going to wind up being a poor fit for that organization at that time with that team. And I see this happen time and time and time again. And it is sad, but I think slash hope that enough folks have been through that particular ringer that they are starting to build a bit more confidence at an organizational level around saying, okay, we need to have a point of view around what good product management looks like here. We need to have a point of view about what we're looking for. And we can't be afraid to have that point of view and to hire for that point of view rather than just doing the safe seeming thing of Googling what Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon hire for cobbling that together into some kind of Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> super product five manager. Page. Five <laughs> so pages, it's easy for it. It's like five pages. It's like <laughs> you have to have like a PhD in machine learning and a computer science uh, degree and an MBA and have worked at Facebook or Google for 30 years. <laughs> and this is for an associate product manager role, by the way. This is an entry-level role. You have a deep quantitative background. You have to have written uh, poetry for several years to prove that you can also write qualitatively. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's like, it's just so clearly, not only coming from a place of insecurity, but coming from a place of, of aimless unspecificity. And I think from that place, you make bad decisions. You know, and it's, it's really interesting because I think one of the things that sometimes frustrates people about product management and coming into a management product management role is that they're like, you know, everyone's definition of product management is different. And it means one thing in one company, it means something different in another, and it means something different in one part of a company than the other. But I think one of the things that you're talking about is really interesting is like, embrace the difference, understand that it is not the same anywhere, but understand what it needs to be to you. And as you mentioned, like a startup or a giant company, totally different needs. Life cycle of your product, totally different needs. Risk openness of your organization, totally different needs from product management. Instead of thinking there's one magic one, really thinking about who you are as an organization and what you need and what would be successful there, I think is really smart. It's smart, but it's hard. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that it requires critical thinking. It requires the bravery of sticking to and developing your own position rather than adopting a defensible position from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Funny enough, that's exactly what good product management often involves as well. Mm -hmm. So I also think that by running through these types of exercises, I'm really asking specifically what do we need in context? What does a good product manager look like in context? Are we brave enough to have a point of view and stick to that point of view? We are also building a culture of good product management mm-hmm. because that is also what I expect a good product. Manager. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, you know, they always say that nobody gets fired for picking IBM. To your point earlier, nobody gets fired for hiring a Google PM, but maybe they should, right? Like maybe you really should think. One of the things I think is always hard when we and I would be interested in how your, your friend does it too, is like, so I need to think about my context and what we need here and what would be successful here. How do we do that in a way that's not sort of just believing our own fairy tale, right? Or, or how do we make that? What are the tough questions we should ask ourselves in order to get an honest answer of what we need and what would work here? Yeah, it's interesting. When I've had that conversation with folks, I found that oftentimes people are pretty clear about what they think they need. Mm. You know, 
you're basically conducting user research on your own team yep. a little bit. Yep. So, you know, folks will often be like, yeah, I need someone to get me unblocked and to help solve problems for me and blah, blah, blah. Where it gets tricky is the realm of invisible evidence. Um, mm. you know, again, good product managers often help teams recognize things that are missing that they don't know are missing. So I found it really helpful in organizations that already have some product managers to like ask them to look across the team or even like spend a few weeks shadowing that team and understanding what's needed. So I think there's a, a kind of dance that happens. And again, as there is no one correct approach to product management, there is no one correct approach to identifying your needs around product management. But I think that generally speaking, the challenge is to put more time and effort and thought into it than is currently being put into it. You know, I've seen organizations, you know, I've certainly been guilty of this when I've worked at companies where it's like, oh, go interview this person. I'm like, who are they? What are they applying? I'm like, oh, they're a product manager. And I'm like, all right, I'll just ask them generic product manager yeah. questions. And it's like the amount of time of everybody's time that you've wasted in the wrong part of this process, just throwing people at this person to interview them, which also means that you have so many biases coming into play. You have so much of the like, does this person look and talk like, quote unquote, what I think a good product manager looks and talks like. You're spending time in the wrong place because it feels like the easy place to spend time rather than spending that time up front to really work with the team to get a sense of like, what do we want? What are we open to? You know, I've been that product manager who comes into a team and is like, we need to work on goals. And the team's like, no, we don't. We know what we're doing. Who are you? Why are you talking to us about this? And I'm like, well, when I interviewed and I said I was going to do this, people seem fine with it. But it sounds like this conversation hasn't happened with the team. I see this happening a lot with product ops people in particular mm -hmm. now, where product mm -hmm. ops people are hired. And good product ops people are like, let's get in there. Let's really focus on like, getting outcomes and outputs connected. Let's, you know, focus the team on, on what matters. And the product manager's like, I thought you were just here to like, you know, manage my Jira tickets and, <laughs> create and make my life easier. I didn't think you were going to be actually digging into the challenging stuff. So no, you were going to move my cheese, right? Exactly. Exactly. I thought <laughs> you were going to prepare my cheese on a platter, <laughs> um, yes. but not move it. <laughs> so I, I think you know, again, putting that time and effort up front to really define what that looks like for the team to have some of those tough conversations. Where do we need to stretch? What are things we might not know yet? What are the questions we have? It's really important to have those conversations, not just to hire the right person, but to set that person up for success. I was going to say, I mean, it, it seems like if you do that work up front, not only are you finding the right person, but the onboarding and the speed to value and exactly. speed to enjoyment on both sides is sped up considerably. Exactly. And I think you also then are better set up to do interviews that actually speak to the real challenges that the team is having. I am not a big fan of abstract exercises that end in a presentation for product managers, because frankly, product managers can be really good at giving presentations and really bad at doing product management. Mm -hmm. And yes. anything we do in the world that conflates product management with giving presentations makes product management less effective. You know, as a product manager, your success or failure is realized through the efforts of your team. It is the software your team builds that delivers value for the business, not the beautiful presentations you create. And I feel like when we are not specific about what we need, when we don't have the team really specifically thinking about, okay, here's what we need, here's what this looks like, here's how we can talk through this challenge with somebody, you wind up with a lot of confident bullshitters doing really well in interview processes. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, 
confident bullshitters often do the best in product management interviews and are the most damaging to product teams. Absolutely. Um, so I think we have created entire interviewing systems that implicitly reward confident bullshitters who can come in and be like, oh yeah, how many golf balls fit inside a school bus? Well, let me tell you, the first thing I do is this math and I figure out this, that, blah, 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 because I'm really smart. Rat, I'm like, that's not what product management looks like day to day. And if you show up as a confident bullshitter, you're going to wind up making promises your team can't deliver on, which might also keep getting you promoted, unfortunately. So yeah. Conversation. You're going to alienate your team by overriding their actual expertise with your bullshitty fake expertise. And you're going to miss out on that expertise. You're not going to be able to actually synthesize the wisdom of your team to make decisions that are valuable for the business and for its users. You're going to be constantly playing, playing defense. You're going to be constantly trying to maintain your reputation and your standing in the organization by spinning this impossible juggling act going. And I see so many product managers in the midst of that impossible juggling act where they have overpromised on their ability to do things by themselves mm-hmm. rather than going in and saying, you know, I, I was interviewing for product leadership roles a couple of years ago. They came to me with a strategic challenge for the company. They said, how would you solve it? And I said, I do research. There was a long pause. They said, well, sure, but how would you solve it? That is how I would solve it. You are asking me a market-based question. I would want to answer that with market data, not my own conjecture. Right. He said, well, you're interviewing for a product leadership role. Aren't you abdicating your responsibility as a product leader? I said, quite the contrary. I feel like my responsibility is to the company and its customers. I would be abdicating my responsibility if I rattled off an impressive sounding answer without doing my homework. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not how I work. And this company has researchers. You have market researchers. You have user researchers. I'm sure there's people within the organization who would have really valuable answers. And I would start by talking to them before I start planting the seeds of my own answer, knowing that the way organizational hierarchies work, if I start spouting off my own answer, people are going to go out and try to justify my answer rather than coming to me with what the actual market-based truth of the situation is, which is part of why I think we see so many organizations going down a path which could quite quickly be invalidated by even the most perfunctory market research. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's just this sense that people want somebody who, you know, again, has that product sense, who's going to walk in and their magical product spidey senses will tell them exactly what to do, but that's not how markets work. Mm -mm. Markets are surprising. People are surprising. Things change. When I've interviewed product managers, I always look for folks who can accept new information. The one trick I almost always do when I'm talking through challenges with product managers, and I'm not, I'm not going to be the person who's like, well, I'm not going to tell you about what we're actually trying to solve. Like, solve <laughs> like of course I'm going to talk about what we're actually trying to solve because it's what we're actually trying to solve. Let's talk about this like people trying to solve this actual problem would talk about it. Let's get as close to recreating the texture of solving this problem with these people and this organization as we can now because, spoiler alert, that's what your job is going to be. Right, yeah. I always see how they react to challenges. The number one thing I'm paying attention to is if they say, oh, we could try this. I'm like, well, you know, even if we do it as a hypothetical, let's say we learn this and that doesn't work. Do they run with it or do they fight it? Do they get defensive or do they stay curious? 
And the people who get defensive are disqualified immediately. If you get defensive, if you are trying to defend your idea or defend your approach against evidence, then you are going to be a bad product manager. If you are going to dig in and get more curious and say, all right, awesome. Where does that data come from? Like, let's find out more. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. I was wrong about that. This is the thing. Like, if you can stay curious and dig deeper, even when your first instinct is being invalidated, mm-hmm. then you are probably going to be a good product manager. If your first impulse is to dig in deeper in a bad way, dig your heels in and say, no, 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 no. Well, I don't know. If, if you are leaving critical real world data off the table to protect your own ego, you are going to do harm in this role. And yeah. I do not want you in this role. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Right. I mean, that, that is the fundamental role of product. And to your point where people, especially if they've been there for a while, you're going to have good instincts. That's, that's not a bad thing, but I'm not hiring you for your instincts and, and your instincts are dangerous if you are attached to them, right? Exactly. If it gives you a hypothesis to test, right. If it is, you know, the leading truth from then until someone proves you wrong. No, no. There's a, a degree of difference there. That's quite strong. Exactly. And and frankly, I think a lot of people who haven't worked in or with product managers just don't know how to look for that. You know, unless you've had this conversation with people who are experienced working in product, I think it's human nature for somebody who comes to you with a competent, definitive answer to be the person who makes you feel good, right? Somebody comes to you and says, I can solve your problem for you. I see, I see the problem. I understand this problem. I've solved this problem, this exact problem before, which is never true. Every problem's a little bit different. Yep. I can't tell you how many frustrating interviews I've had as a candidate where it's like, well, you haven't done this exact thing before. And I'm like, nobody has done this exact thing before. Um, that's not how this works. And I think that sometimes comes off as a defensive answer when it is an authentic answer. But you know, again, I think people are just so afraid and so fear and insecurity driven when it comes to hiring product managers that they want somebody who's just going to say done this exact thing before know exactly what to do just set me up and you won't have to think about this again right which is again making money tomorrow exactly (laughs) not how it works not how it works but you know your your example of when you were being interviewed for a product leadership role i think is also indicative of a thing we see and and i've seen it in my own career where you know one of my product managers is out and they they give a, a different exec an answer and the exec's like man that's that they didn't really know they come to me and they're like your guy doesn't know what's the answer i'm like well my guy doesn't know because we've got research to do right but there's yeah. not just the in the hiring place where sometimes the expectation is for us to be you know just answer givers and movers, but in the whole expectation within the organization of all of our working product managers. And so that's the guy you should go to for the answer and the solution only. And we're not like, that's where the person you should talk to about kind of the market information and the context. We're setting them up, I think, for that that same sort of trick, right? Where like they're supposed to have all the answers and always be ready to present versus really reinforcing that their value is in that research and market understanding that they bring. Absolutely. 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 And I think that's part of, you know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at a certain point, right? Where if you hire people who have a certain approach, they carry forward that approach. Um, They hire more people who have that approach and it just goes on and on and on. So I think there is a lot of work to do to unwind some of these issues within organizations. And again, I think that starts by really defining like, what does success look like for a product manager at this organization? Is it the ability to do a compelling presentation? Is it the ability to say, look at all the stuff we're shipping? Is it the ability to define and deliver against outputs? 
Is it the ability to define outputs and use those output, define outcomes rather, and track progress against those outcomes? I always get output and outcomes, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But, you know, to me, I always tell product managers I work with, because I, I think there is a fear of outcome-based accountability because most important outcomes are outside of your control. Right. There's some gray space between you and the outcome. Exactly. When I always tell product managers, like, look, I don't expect you to hit the number by magic. I expect you to tell me, like, what you're measuring and why, how we're doing towards it, why you think that is, and what the plan is. Like, if you can tell me that, then you're doing your job. But those whys are really important. And if you can't speak to the why, all the numbers are going up and to the right, and you have no idea why that is, that's going to make me nervous. I am not going to be happy about that because that puts us in a very vulnerable position. And as I learned in my own product career, you might also find out that your analytics tool is broken and all the numbers have actually been going in the wrong direction as you suspected they would, but the analytics tool was broken. So once you fix it, you see everything's been going the wrong way. And when your boss says, wait, why do we think they were going the right way? And you say, well, the analytics tool said they were, and uh, that was cool. And it made me feel good. So I didn't think about it anymore. (laughs) Not a great conversation. Still wakes you up in the middle of the night, but no, no problem. <laughs> right? yeah, turns, out people, turns out that's not a very fun conversation. Shocking. One of the things that you touched on in there, and one of the things that you and I had talked about before that I really liked is often when we're hiring for a new product manager or something, we spend time like clarifying the role. And uh-huh. you talked a little bit how like, well, that's nice and all, but what you really need to clarify is the goal. And I yeah. think that little switch is super powerful. So if you can just talk a little bit more about that, I think it it really helped crystallize to me where we needed to focus. Yeah, so I'll tell you the moment when this snapped into place. for me. I had been invited to help a team clarify its decision, right? So this was a cross-functional leadership team that had a product manager, a designer, an engineer. And they said, we don't know who has decision rights over what. Things. Like who gets to decide when something is done? Who gets to decide what we're building? We need we need decision rights as a function of role clarity. And I said, sure. I like facilitating things. Let's have a conversation. And we had this conversation, and something just seemed off to me. Like we kind of were talking in circles, and it felt very abstract. So we got something together, but I met with the team the next week, and I was like, look, I don't feel great about this. Can we just hit reset for a second? Like, what's the last decision this team actually made? And everyone had a really hard time thinking about it. Mm. I was like, well, how do we make decisions? Like, what do we know what a good decision or a bad decision is? They were like, well, we don't really know. And I started thinking back to the most successful and high-performing cross-functional teams I had worked with. And we didn't really have a lot of role clarity necessarily. We had goal clarity. Like, we knew what we were trying to achieve. And everybody pretty naturally fell into their best possible way of contributing to that. You know, the the way I I think about it is like, if you have a dinner party with a recipe and all the ingredients, your friends are going to figure out who does what. Nobody's going to have a debate over who's like certified in potato peeling. Like, (laughs) you're going to do what. But if you invite a ton of people over and say, all right, let's make something for dinner. What what should we do? It's going to be a disaster, right? If you don't have a recipe, if you don't have, if you're just like, let's just make a meal, it's going to be really hard to get anywhere. So I think understanding what success looks like for a team and for an organization is the first step from which all other steps flow. If you don't know what success is, you cannot succeed. And it's been interesting to me how often, you know, I've worked with companies like, well, we need to hire a ton of product managers. Why? So we can grow. Like, 
what's your growth plan? Like, what are the targets? What are you actually trying to achieve? You know, how will product managers help you achieve that? And I'm actually like, well, you know, we don't know, but our investors said we should hire a bunch of product managers. Like, That's not a goal. That's not a real thing. But like, I do wish investors would say that more often. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we do get into this situation where both in terms of a team success and in terms of the success of an individual we add to the team, we just don't define it. We're not, we're just like, oh yeah, and you're like, good, and numbers go up. It's fine. And it's, that makes it impossible. And in a lot of cases, I would argue that what ends up happening then is in that vacuum of goal clarity, people make their own goals, which for product managers might be giving a lot of presentations, writing a lot of documentation, and doing things that ultimately slow down the team's ability to achieve goals in the name of giving that product manager tangible things that they as an individual can can their success to. And that is very dangerous. Agree. Agree. And, and it's why individual goals versus the goals of the team, same thing when we're thinking about who to hire, we're looking at it holistically as what does this team need, I think is so important. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've worked with a lot of companies that try to do the whole like cascade all the OKRs and all the directions yeah. from individual. And it's like start at the team level, like start at the team level with what success looks like. And if we can't even get there, then we're certainly not going to be able to cascade it in every direction all at once. To have right. that it work. sounds wonderful. I mean, it sounds like it's an amazing right. fountain piece, but like you often just get lost. You like the goals get lost in the metrics a little bit, right? What we're really trying right. to accomplish, the outcomes, right? Yeah. Okay. I was also thinking about this as we talked all about hiring different people and really focusing on understanding the context and the goals. Do you have some examples of how you've pivoted or, or your sort of hiring process based on the type of product manager you're looking for, right? Yeah, so it's interesting because this kind of ties into this broader conversation about specialization, right? Mm -hmm. Because we also now have like growth product managers yeah. and technical product. I, I have such mixed feelings about this because... Here I've been advocating for specificity, but I also think that we generalize that specificity at great risk, which is to say, I don't know if product managers fall into the same three or four categories mm -hmm. that are applicable across all organizations. I worked with a company a while ago where a really talented growth product manager was up for promotion. Somebody on the evaluation, and he said, well, they've only been a growth product manager. Can we really promote them to a regular product manager role? <laughs> and I'm like... Like you just made these things up and they're already being weaponized. Yeah. Which concerns me. So I think sometimes I think, too with the title specificity, sorry, that like then someone who's a technical program manager, it doesn't mean they don't care about growth. Like like just be exactly. really clear. You have to care about all these things. It's sort of like amount of focus and proportions, right? Another way yeah. that yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that we need to specialize locally, right? We can't specialize globally. I think we really need to get right down to that level of like what not what's the type of product manager like are they a growth product manager are they uh but like what do we need this person to be able to do for us and i think when you talk through that with somebody you find out whether they're the kind of person who does that in a way that fits for you it's really hard you know interviewing is so important for all roles but i think it's so important for product managers because it's very hard in a resume to capture how somebody really approaches solving problems and how they're going to talk through things and how they're going to do things. You know, I obviously have my own sense of like what I look for when I'm hiring product managers and what I think generally makes people better suited to product management work. 
you know, I have a framework in my book called Core Skills, Communication, Organization, Research, and Execution. I like using that as a springboard, as like a just a, a same kind of scaffolding type framework to be like, which of these, if we were to stack rank these, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which of these is the most important one we're hiring for right now? I think a lot of kind of product management skill canvases are way too complicated and also are very based in activities, not in skills. Like me, road mapping is not a skill. Mm-hmm. Story writing isn't really a skill. It's an activity. Communication is a skill. Research is a skill. So what I generally look towards is like, can we take some general model, whether it's mine or someone else's, I don't really care that much. And can we start to stack rank or score those things in a way that forces us into having our own point of view so that we can say, okay, you know, for this role, we need somebody, you know, I worked with an organization a while ago to operationalize the core model. We wound up changing it to score. They wanted to add strategy. And I went off on this whole long tangent about how like, well, really strategy is about the intersection. And they were just like, what are you talking about? Can we just add S? And I was like, yes, I am fighting a silly fight. Um, <laughs> we'll not die being, on this hill. I'm being defensive. I do not want to die on this hill. And we wound up agreeing that like strategy, the ability to make decisions towards a goal is really the most important thing. After that, we need somebody who is able to execute, is able to like get their team working. After that, we need research, somebody who can really understand and live in their customer's reality. Then communication and like the organization stuff, the operational like frameworks and whatever stuff, we actually don't care that much about that, which is going to pull in a very, very different kind of candidate from an organization that's like, look, we work in this process. We need someone who can plug into the process. We need someone who understands, you know, the framework we're working in, who can plug into that. And then we need these other things. You're going to just look at very different people and you're going to interview them very differently. So I think finding some framework to use as a reflective mechanism, as a way of saying, Mm -hmm. all right, if we were to look at the different elements of this framework and stack rank them or score them or do something to capture the different dimensions of it and to assign different weight to those dimensions, what does that tell us about how we think about this role? All right. You've given me a ton to think about, and I definitely will change the way I make my next hire. And we talked a lot about a lot of different things today, but if you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Number one, if you're asked to just randomly go interview a person, be the change you want to see in the world. I wish I had been braver about this. I'm like, Hey, we're hiring some product manager, go talk to them. Be like, you know, I'm not really comfortable talking to them until I understand what we think success looks like in this role. Can we take a little time, even if it's just a half hour, and walk through this, take a look at the job description? So don't be an instrument of bad hiring. I have been an instrument of bad hiring too many times in my life. And I think it takes somebody to step in and refuse to be an instrument of bad hiring before we get to a place of better hiring. Number two, if you're a product manager or somebody applying to be a product manager, you know, I understand why, but I think there's this sense that like there's a secret, like that there's a a secret code to product management interviews for you to hack and that it's like a prize for you to win. Um, I've certainly approached things that way. And I think it's made me unhappy in my life when I have won the prize, but it has been a cursed prize. Mm -hmm. Just to say when I've won the prize by going in and being like, I knew what the right type of answer was. I picked a metric and I was like, well, impact this metric and this way by doing this and that. But then I get into the role and I'm like, oh, this is not, how this works. And this isn't what I believe. And I don't feel like I'm actually helping or making people 
people's lives better. So much of my work these days is encouraging people to trust their gut. Mm. Not trust your gut as in don't do research, but trust your gut as in if something feels too certain or too confident or like you're bullshitting, then pull yourself back a little bit. Ask those real questions. Let your doubts and uncertainties guide your activities and actually reduce risk for the organization. Because if you try to eliminate those up front for the sake of your own ego and your own standing, you are actually putting your organization at much greater risk. Absolutely. And it is to your point too, it's a sort of, it is a two-way street when you're interviewing, right? Yeah. In the same way that they're looking and should, you should look for a contextual fit for your team. You should look for the company that's the right fit for you and not just win a prize and go, oh, damn it. I don't like this. I don't like pandas. What am I doing with this? So Absolutely. Yes. Or just, you know, lie, cheat and steal your way into a product management job at a paying company and then have any job you want for the rest of your life. Right. <laughs> Alternate <laughs> options. Right? Alternate options. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt. This was great. Thank you for sharing your experience, your insights. If people wanted to hear more about you and your thoughts on the messy realities of products and, and all of your insights, where would you have them go? Find me on LinkedIn. Find me at mattlemay.com. I'm not on Twitter as much these days for reasons we don't need to get into. Yeah, yeah. I'm at mattlemay on Twitter. <laughs> also, read my book, Product Management and Practice, second edition. I'm really proud of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining thank us. Thank you. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.